Good morning to all of you and to all those who are watching online. So glad to see all of you here today. In the fall of 2010, I had just moved with my family uh, to Birmingham, Alabama, so that I could serve on the staff of the cathedral there. And I was quickly learning that in that very churched town, and really that whole, that very churched area, the unspoken and unchallenged actual religion was college football. I had just barely crossed the line, the state line, when I, uh, before I heard, uh, it's, there's no middle ground. It's Auburn or Alabama. you you got to take a side. And, and, um, and I preached a sermon one time on Jesus walking on water. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, 20 minutes about walking on water and not one mention of Bear Bryant? I, where am I? Um, well, that was the year also, 2010, uh, that happened to be the year that, that Cam Newton broke out as this... Uh, uh, Formerly uh, really unknown quarterback, went on to be the Heisman Trophy winner for eventual national champion Auburn. And therefore, that was the year, my apologies to bring this up, that, uh, that, that was the year that Auburn went to Tuscaloosa and was losing 24 to nothing at halftime before coming back in the second half to win 28 to 27. Let me tell you, people were losing their minds either for joy or despair. And church attendance the next day was, uh, shall we say, scant. Um, (laughs) But there was one diehard Alabama fan for whom sorrow and outrage were simply not enough. For this fan, the only acceptable answer was revenge. And so in the middle of the night, this 60-year-old, overzealous Alabama fan went to Auburn and poisoned the famous oak trees at Toomer's Corner where Auburn students traditionally celebrated their away game wins. Now, it was national news. You may remember this. He was caught after he called into a sports radio talk show to brag about it, and his phone call was traced. Brilliant. Now, even Alabama fans would say that this was a ridiculous and horrible action, And I admit it is really almost a cartoonish example. But it vividly illustrates one of the most basic instincts of our fallen human nature. It's an instinct that in some form or fashion all of us must admit to. And that is that we so easily understand life in terms of us versus them. Us versus them. We're the good guys they're the bad guys, right? We're smart, they're dumb. We're right, they're wrong. We're the best, and they are the worst. Now, it's kind of fun with college football, but we can look past that to politics, uh, to the very root of racism, to the way that we treat people of a different economic station or a different educational situation, or a different denominational situation. I mean, how many times have Baptists been the butt of Episcopalian jokes? And probably, unbeknownst to me, vice versa. It's us versus them. 
in any arena, life just seems easier to understand if we allow ourselves to believe that it can be so binary. We're comfortable with us. We don't understand them. And so we tend to us. Now, I've never poisoned anybody's trees, but I can still find that binary separating tendency throughout my life in every context that I just mentioned. And I'm sure that if you're honest, you can probably also. Us versus them. Now, we are in our second week of looking at the lectionary passages from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, If you did not hear uh, the first sermon in that series from Father Trent last week, I recommend that you go back. It was a wonderful sermon. Uh, We're going to be in this series almost through the end of August. And I would just encourage you, sort of as a side note, to read through Ephesians. Maybe even weekly. You could do it daily. It's, It's not long. Six short chapters. But just get to know Ephesians as we're preaching through it. So in this passage, this week, Ephesians chapter 2, St. Paul addresses our us versus them tendency head on. Head on. And it's amazing, really, 2,000 years ago, uh, this was written. And now, 2,000 years later, I mean, fully a third or more of the world's population are professing Christians. It's still revolutionary. It is revolutionary. Because Paul doesn't simply say, stop it. Stop that tendency. If he did, it would easily and ironically devolve into, we have stopped treating people badly, and those people haven't yet. Rather, St. Paul shows us how Jesus Christ has overcome this us versus them tendency on the cross. And so as we look through this beautiful passage, we want to see three things. We want to see uh, where we were with God, and now where we are with God. And then as a result of that, where are we with each other? Where we were with God, where we are now with God, and as a result, where are we now with each other? So, first, where we were with God. Now, I'm sure that each of you has had in some uh, part of your life, some way that you, under, you have had the experience of being on the outside looking in. You didn't get into the school that you wanted to get into. Or you didn't get that promotion that you thought you deserved. Or you saw pictures of friends at a gathering. Your friends, you weren't invited to that gathering. It's an unpleasant feeling when we are on the outside and they are on the inside. And St. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Now, you may know that these, that just, um, just about everybody in that church was Gentile, which is to say not Jewish. They were Christians. But they were of Gentile background. In other words, these were people whose religious and ethnic heritage was outside of the covenant. They uh, were not, by their birth, members of God's chosen people. They were not raised as heirs of the law or the prophets. So they were separated from God. They were outsiders looking in, and Paul reminds them as much. Remember that, he says. Remember Now, he's not trying to make them feel bad or put them in their place or bring up a sore subject. He rather is inviting them to retain the awe that they have of God's grace. Keep the grace that you have received in the context of your whole story. Remember. Remember, he says. Because you were labeled 
by covenant people as non-covenant people. You were called uncircumcised by those who had the sacramental covenant mark of circumcision. You were without Christ, he says. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. He's not pulling any punches, is he? But let's be clear, he, this is not just the spiritual station of the Ephesians before they met Jesus, but this, this is the station of all of us without Christ. Where we were with God, uh, with God before Jesus was on the outside. Maybe we were looking in, maybe we were running in the other direction. That's your story, I don't know. But either way, our hope was in our own achievement or our own goodness or our own strength. Our life was lived for ourselves and for our own purposes. We were concerned for us. Maybe we were hellions. Maybe we were good moral citizens. But we were without Christ. And so we were strangers to God's promises. No, we weren't strangers to God. He knew us, right? He loved us. He longed for us to know Him. But God was a stranger to us. We did not know Him. And therefore, we were aliens, outsiders. That's the natural consequence of sin. We do not belong. Remember that, says Paul. It's important to remember because continually seeing the contrast keeps us in continual awe of God and His mercy. So that's where we were with God, aliens and strangers. Where are we now? Where are we now? Paul says, we were without hope. We were without God in the world. But now, whenever you see those two little words in Paul's writings, you know something amazing is about to happen. But now. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are outside of God's covenant are insiders of God's grace. You who are strangers and aliens are intimately known and in fact regarded as family by God Himself. (coughs) You who are far off have been brought near. We who were outside in the sweltering heat of God's judgment have been brought inside to the air conditioning of God's grace and glory. How did this happen? It is because on the cross, Jesus, the only rightful insider, put himself outside so that we could be inside. He put himself as a stranger so that we could be known. Jesus took our sin upon himself and gave us his holiness. There was a wall of separation between sinful us and holy God, and Jesus tore down that wall when he was hung up on the cross. And that, friends, that is the basic gospel message, the great and glorious but now. And I hope, I hope that it gives you chills every time you hear it, that it never gets old. we got to see the contrast. we got to remember. And Paul Paul doesn't say, but now you cleaned up your act and so you're finally in, right? He doesn't say, but now God realized that, well, what you did wasn't that bad. He doesn't say, but now you're in church. Well, that's got to count for something. He doesn't say any of that. 
Paul points to no actions of the Ephesians, and Paul points to no actions of our own. It is uh, we who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's all grace. It's all grace. So now we are not at odds with God because Jesus is our peace. We have peace with God because Jesus brokered the deal. So we were aliens with God, but now we are at peace with God. To to the point that he calls us, his family, members of the household of God. But let's go back to this us versus them tendency. Where does this grace put us with each other? I mean, think about right now all the walls that are up between us, between people right now, Democrat versus Republican, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, new ideas about marriage versus traditional ideas about marriage, critical race theory or not. Vaccines or not. Common core or not. And we just go on and on. The walls up around us. Us versus them. And all of these, these are so important. These issues are so important to the fabric of our society. And they need to be addressed carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully. But as I have said before, people are addicted to indignation. Right? And so often, rather than address the issue or listen to another perspective, we vilify our opponents and castigate those who disagree with us. But as Christians, as Christians, we need to know that we have a different lens. Jesus is our peace. That's our lens. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace with God, and Jesus is our peace with each other. There is no more uncircumcision or circumcision, says Paul. There are no more outsiders. Paul says, in his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And this means that in the church, there is no us versus them. There is only us. There's only us. Our lens for how we treat others, other people in all circumstances is that Jesus is our peace. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly perspective. Now let me be the first to say that I fall short of this. When we confess every week that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, I mean it. I mean, I live in a family. What Paul is telling us is the truth. Jesus' cross has torn down the dividing wall of hostility to unify the body of Christ. One new humanity, Paul says. One holy temple of mutual praise. And let me tell you, I do not want to do everything the way that the Baptists do. Or the Catholics. Or the 1122ers. But I can tell you this. I sure do love that they love Jesus. And that's got to be our starting point. Always our starting point. Our common ground. Jesus is our peace. 
And so by the very grace that saves us, because of the glorious but now, we keep the dividing wall down. Which means, we watch our words. Sometimes we bite our tongues. We might need to wait or have someone we trust read the email or the text or the post before we hit send. We can address the issues with passion, but we need to treat people with compassion. Until it is unreasonable to do so, we assume goodwill. And even when it is unreasonable, we forgive as quick as we can by the grace of God. And when we mess up, we apologize. Because Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Because the, now, because the church is open to all people, and there's a wideness in God's mercy, we're going to have people in the church whose opinions fall on every side of every issue. And frankly, we can't all be right. Sometimes we're saying opposite things. But we can all remember. We can all remember that we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we've got to start there. We must first be humbled by our initial separation from God, and then be awed by our gracious acceptance into His grace and mercy, into His family. And then as a fruit of that grace, as recipients of such lavish grace, we will be givers of that grace. Even in disagreement, because of the gospel, we will treat Christians of all stripes with dignity and respect because of the common faith that we share. And to non-Christians, we will strive to be Christ's ambassadors, living illustrations of God's love and grace. So I want to ask you to spend some time with these three points this week. In prayer, in your devotions, your journals, or however you do it, I want you to intentionally remember where you were without Christ. Or maybe you grew up in the church, you've never really known, but imagine prayerfully with God, where would I be without Christ? Remember. And then take time intentionally to be awed by the grace that you have received. And finally, prayerfully consider the dividing walls of hostility that you need to let Jesus take down in your life. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your politics. Maybe it's in your denomination. I don't know. But I'll say this. We rest in the grace that Jesus is our peace. As a fruit of that grace, let us love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.